0: Hello and welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogies Podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Neelochlin. My apologies for the prolonged hiatus, but I have been and continue to be what we Hoosiers call real bad sick. I even had to take a leave of absence from my brand new job, which was definitely not part of my plans. While I heal, though, I want to pick up and get back into the flow because, hey, man, I love you all. And there is work to be done. I have to honor my body first, so the hiatus was the right decision for me, but I have a long list of new topics and I hope to have a few interviews completed for you soon too. I'll make it worth your while and I do appreciate your patience as we kind of hover here in this neverland of mm, starting to get things done again. Here's the latest notice from the Department of Humble Brag. We just blew past the 1,450 download mark since this podcast started on January 2nd. I can't believe that. You guys simultaneously buoyed me up and freaked me out when I was ill with 490 downloads in my absence, which is pretty crazy. 42 out of 50 states are now listening, and 18 countries across the world are tuning in. Good on you, Australia, you're smashing it, blowing past Canada for second place after my native United States. Episode 12 had a wacky number of downloads, 170 and counting, so I gather that you enjoyed the ups and downs of Melba Toast and Maxwell Silver Hammer. I'm so glad to know it. I had a blast writing that one. I'm always happy to hear about what you liked and what you want to know more about, so please Please drop me a line when and if you wish. I have a specific request this week. I've created a poll. It's at my website, ancestorsalivegenealogy.com. Would you do me a giant favor and vote in it to let me know how you found the podcast? I would really appreciate that a lot. Thank you very much. Now, I've gotten a lot of really lovely mailbag items while on hiatus, including some terrific episode ideas. But a few messages led me to believe that I need to take this episode to clarify to you all why I created this podcast in the first place, which is why we don't have a cute title for the podcast. I usually go for, you know, a cute episode title. I don't really have one except maybe like why we're here. But that's a, a little kind of big. It's a little big for what, what I'm talking about. I know that I did a little bit of, of sort of introduction in episode one, but I think it's time for a bit more detail. The short version of this is this is not a marketing tool. For my genealogy business, it's a teaching tool, but there's a longer version and and I'd like to tell you why it is that I'm here. So I'm a member of a few podcasting groups on Facebook and one of them is really particularly supportive. In that group, people talk about their brand and whether or not they monetize, whether or not they should monetize, and whether a podcast should be a product or a means to a related end. And I get what they're saying, these various different sides to these various issues, but here's the deal. I'm here because I didn't have anyone to teach me. I learned differently from many people And I see the need for an alternate approach to introducing newcomers to Ancestry.com, FamilySearch.org, folklore collection, and genealogy in general. To explain, let me give you my background. In terms of letters, humanities, reading comprehension, producing written work, I was always a successful student. But when it came to math and sciences, I was a terrible and distracted student. My father was my math tutor, which was an incredibly painful experience. He was a math major in college, and I had an absolutely horrific time understanding the work. Studying with him was a grinding, tearful experience that really strained our relationship because he simply did not understand why I couldn't understand the material. I couldn't learn it. He saw a kid with above-average smarts who performed well in many other ways, but who couldn't settle down at the table, couldn't grasp concepts as he explained them, and didn't perform well in class. I retained it all just long enough to do well on exams, finals, and state regents exams, but beyond that, I have forever needed a calculator to perform simple addition and subtraction. I need one to determine ages from dates and vice versa when working on census records. I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing. There was one other subject, though, in which I excelled, foreign languages. Looking back now with hindsight and diagnoses in place, I understand that it's because languages as I learned them in the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s had systems. I learned by rote memorization, but also by method. Nouns were declined and had genders. Verbs were conjugated and had tenses. Words came from stems and families. Everything was part of a system and had a place. I functioned well with that. I've tried these phone apps that promise the moon for language learning, but they teach in these weird conversational ways that have nothing to do with roots or or declensions and conjugations and such. And I find them to be utterly useless. So for me, methods and systems are key to successful learning. Give me a textbook any day. When I was in grade school, junior high, high school, even college, no one discussed ADD or ADHD. No one had an inkling about learning or neurological disorders in children. No one understood anything about left-handedness and brain dominance or that there was a variety of seizure and migraine disorders out there that interfere with learning. Dyslexia wasn't widely understood or discussed, at least not where I went to school, nor was childhood or adolescent mental illness like depression or bipolar disorder and the learning disabilities that go with those. I never heard discussion about traumatic brain injury from anything like a car accident or how to teach a child who was affected by it. And nobody anywhere had any idea that there was more than one way to teach or to learn unless it was completely advanced placement or completely remedial. The idea that any student had a combination of abilities or shortcomings simply never came into discussion. If a student didn't get it... Frequently, that student was written off as stupid, difficult, intractable, and any kid like me who willingly read from early childhood, happily took on extra assignments, and had a big vocabulary, yet also had some entrenched learning and neurological issues, was beyond the scope of what most teachers could handle. So my profile as a student was this. By fourth grade, I was taking German after school and studying microbiology from a college textbook for fun. By high school, I was taking Latin, French, and German, and AP classes in my good subjects while barely scraping by in math and avoiding all non-required sciences. And in college, I flunked and had to retake freshman math. I never even took an econ class because I just didn't get it. And as a result of all this, I felt stupid for years. But I want to ask you do I sound stupid? Of course not. And yet I still have those nightmares of having to retake classes or of flunking exams or of waking up on finals day not realizing I was enrolled in a math or science or econ class but having to take those finals regardless. I have nightmares of retaking that stupid. Stupid bar exam with no extra time allotted for a person who is legitimately diagnosed with learning disability and ADD. I still wake up in a cold sweat before I remember that I graduated from high school in 1983 and that I never have to take that stupid bar exam ever again. So even though I am not bound to any class, any exam, or anyone's approval, that dreadful feeling of needing to pass is still with me. And that, I believe, has given me some compassion and some insight into the needs of a variety of students who are facing complex interrelated websites or conceptualizations or visualizations of family structures that they've never had to think about before. By the way, If you ever want to know why I flat out refuse to join any genealogical society or association that requires a research paper as a form of examination and admission, please replay the preceding paragraphs. I will never, ever put myself through that or any similar process again. When I write, it's because I'm driven to do so by my own inner needs and not to meet any external goal. But back to the story. Fortunately for me, I was properly diagnosed with ADD and some other neurological issues. I also incurred some brain damage from injury and illness and was properly diagnosed and treated for those. In short, mine is a complicated brain, but mine is not the only one in the world. Working on my own timetable in computerized genealogy, starting back in something like 2006 or 2007, helped me to start to discover the way that I learn. But the thing that kicked me into overdrive was starting to teach others back in 2015 and 2016. Now, this is going to sound a little bit like bashing, and I guess that's because, you know, it is. I've been researching my family topics in history and a little bit in the law. For years. When I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2009, decades after I started doing family history research, I sat through church lesson after church lesson about family history research. And my kittens, I don't mind telling you that I was bored out of my gourd. These lessons were all but unrecognizable to me as genealogy, and they made me avoid family history consultants until I was called to be one in late 2014. I mean, if one more person showed me a two-minute film that showed zero information about research and two solid minutes of happy people walking around buildings, then yapped about amorphous and completely undefined blessings, and then read the same chapter out of a manual that the last five people who taught the same identical lesson had read, I was going to scream. There was no such thing as a hands-on lesson. How on earth do you get folks to do work on a computer or even on a handwritten pedigree chart if you don't actually sit down at a desk with a computer or with a pedigree chart and a pencil. It was insane. My direct predecessor, my friend Lori, had a monthly open house at her home and she worked with people on the computer and on like charts with pencils. But there was a lack of continuity because our ward covers an enormous amount of acreage. Still, she was committed, and she worked with people to teach them directly, in person, one-on-one, which was the most concrete step in the right direction that I had ever seen. Fortunately, my bishopric is a cool group of dudes. My bishop saw the need to centralize family history lessons way before other wards in the area did. Two years ago, he mandated that we provide a class on Sundays during church so that folks could have equal access to information on a weekly basis rather than just waiting for that monthly opportunity at Lori's house. At that time, I was teaching Ancestry and just learning Family Search. It's hard to remember, but I guess that this was right after the church contracted with Ancestry to provide memberships to the church members that allowed for the transfer of citation data between Ancestry and and Family Search. So I started teaching classes for groups of students, preparing an eight week syllabus. But people kept asking questions, and I kept saying, mm, I'll get back to you with that. So eight weeks became 12. And as I was doing the prep or getting these questions from students, I went into my own tree and into clients' trees, and I kept asking myself, How do I do this? And slowly I realized that I had a sort of a system but that I needed to create a better system, a better way of addressing records in Ancestry. I further realized that when I transferred data from Ancestry to FamilySearch, Ancestry was solving very specific kinds of problems in FamilySearch that FamilySearch couldn't solve for itself. And anyone whom I asked asked, anyone with more experience teaching in the church was at odds with my ideas about Family Search. They believed, and most still do, that Family Search is perfect and solves all of its own problems, which is nonsense. As I figured out how Ancestry complemented Family Search, I realized that I could consistently teach any willing student who came to me using the specific rules and guidelines and steps that I was developing from this class and as a result of years of my own independent work with an admittedly flawed brain. It was perfect timing too because I was really making a lot of mistakes in this class with up to eight students at once either asking me questions or looking at me in horror because I was making zero sense to them when fortunately the bishop said, your brief has changed, you need to teach one-on-one. And I got to say, I was extremely relieved when he said that. And that's when I really started to understand some things very differently. Teaching one-on-one is a lot less sanitized than standing up in front of a big TV and giving a prepared lecture with a handout while asking people to follow along in their own trees on their own computers. My individual students stretched me in terrifying ways. They were aged 8 to 90. They spoke English, Spanish, German, and ASL as first languages. They needed to access and assess records in English, Spanish, German, French, and Latin. They had high intelligence, a range of emotional and intellectual challenges, learning disabilities, and some were on the autism spectrum. Some were computer illiterate and I actually had to do their typing for them. I already felt inadequate, so this was just wow. I couldn't and can't pick and choose my students. This is my church calling, It's my job, therefore, to rise to what is required of me and to find a way to teach each student to a high standard in a way that he or she understands. And friends, I have absolutely no training as a teacher. None. I looked to those around me and I found that no one was teaching in a way that these folks needed. There was no consistent support for students. It was just like when I was a kid. My teaching companion, who is a children's librarian and has all sorts of mad skills that I lack, got to work. We conferred about ways to meet individual needs, and I started harking back to my own experience as a student who needed a systematic approach to subject matter as far back as grade school. I used my own experiences and made notes as I taught so that I could incorporate new pieces of info in my lessons. For instance, I'm a visual learner. Personally, I use colors and logos and screen locations to remember what I need in order to repeat tasks. I create a visual breadcrumb trail for myself, and for visual learners, I have those. For others, I created verbal strings and descriptions, and with time, I've sought further shorthands and efficiencies, and I'll continue to do so. The lawyer part of me needs background on everything, so I also need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am absolutely no good at rote memorization outside of foreign languages. In fact, it really annoys me. I think it's a historian thing, too. As a kid, I didn't have much choice, and I had to memorize. But as an adult, I gained the chance to ask questions first and memorize second. So I had to understand the whys behind everything I was doing in Ancestry and Family Search, the origins of every record. And as students asked me, why is this record good? Or which record is better than the others for a birth date? I was able to give a definitive answer because I thought about it, examined a lot of records and ranked them for myself. So the ultimate question of the day is why a podcast or maybe even why this podcast? The podcast format is perfectly suited to the same kind of one-on-one teaching that works in person. Because let's face it, y'all can't interrupt me. I get to prepare a script on a finite issue, present it. You can replay it as often as you need to in order to catch all of the salient points. And only then do you get to ask me questions. It's perfect for everyone. Now there's also a larger question here. A lot of people, it seems, in this wild, wild west of nouveau radio on demand that they call podcasting seem to think that podcasts are a way of drumming up business or of selling a brand. Because this is a prevalent business model in podcasting, some listeners have approached me with requests to take on their entire trees or assumptions that I will. They state this assumption that this is just what I'm going to do. So let me be clear. I am not looking for clients through this podcast. I do not want to take on trees unless they are reparational in nature. And even then, I will not always have the time. First and foremost, this podcast is meant to be inspirational, a fun learning tool, A place where I can vent a little, tell a few jokes and stories, and where I hope I can light a fire under new and experienced researchers alike. I hope that together we can create a community and we can start to have a real conversation. I'm toying with the idea of creating a Facebook group for podcast listeners where we can ask and answer questions and such, but I'm not supremely happy with Facebook right now, let's just say... Workplace is an alternative, but it too is a Facebook product, though technically unrelated. If you have ideas about how to build a discussion, messaging, and chat community online, and some kind of platform that isn't a Mark Zuckerberg production in ways less clunky than, say, Slack, for instance, I'd love to hear about them. So please do uh, email me, message me, whatever, with something like that. Finally, to undo the bash that I put in a little ways back, I want to tell you that there actually are blessings involved in this work, at least according to me, regardless of what you believe in about an afterlife or God or anything religious or spiritual, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. Unlike the folks who tried to educate me, I'm giving you some specific examples of blessings that I or my clients have received. It is a blessing or a good thing to know where you come from because it helps you to see the possibilities for your future and it helps you to see where you don't want to be going. It is a blessing or a good thing to know what kinds of strengths and weaknesses your ancestors had. It is a blessing or a good thing to learn more about a disliked relative so that you can resolve your anger and resentment for your own peace of mind, even though that person has passed. It is a blessing or a good thing to find family secrets because secrets only have power to do damage when they are unspoken and unmourned. It is a blessing or a good thing to find ancestors and relatives that no one else has found because, and you may have to take this one on faith from me, they want to be found and remembered. Knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly in your past and your lineage, and we all have a share of each is a blessing or a good thing because it will, if we allow it, give us strength. It will give us nexus, a frame of reference, and a sense of time and place above and beyond that of living in the here and now. It will moor us. It moors me. I believe that it will do the same for you. Thanks so much for listening. If you podcast and you want original theme music like mine, email my good friend Kurt Brady at curtisbrady at yahoo.com. Tell him I sent you. He can hook you up with rock, blues, country, folk, jazz, you name it, he can do it. If you have a concept or a music sample, send it to him. He writes, plays, and records. Would you like to ask an on-air question? Well, ask me an on-air question! I'm in the U.S. So if you're calling from outside the country, use the country code 010, then dial 631-201-0589 and leave a message with your name, location, and question. I'll play it and answer it on air. If you're in the U.S., leave out that country code and just dial 631 and leave me that message. Let me know who you are. Let me know where you are. I will absolutely play it and answer it on air as soon as I can. Otherwise, you know where you can find me. I'm always in the same place. I'm online at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com and on Facebook at AncestorsAliveGenealogy. Follow me on Twitter at AncestorsAlive and on Instagram at AncestorsAliveGenealogy. If you have an idea or a question for the mailbag, you can contact me at AncestorsAliveGenealogy at gmail.com. And please, if you find value in this podcast, you can do it in two ways. Rate and review it on iTunes and support me on Patreon to win or earn valuable prizes. Because yes, I do monetize this podcast. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash alive and sign up for any of five support levels ranging from $5 to $25 per month. I need those positive reviews and that financial support to keep this virtual classroom going. And despite that hiatus, my puppets, I intend to keep this going for a good long time. Have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Tell me how you found the podcast using my website's poll. And above all, expect surprises.